Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is an important part of the scriptures. It holds some of the most memorable accounts in the entire Bible, like the story of creation and the calling of Abraham. But more important than the individual stories within it, this book marks the beginning of God's magnificent plan of redemption for a lost humanity. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. Now we are in the book of Genesis. We've just just started it last week. And uh, you know, as I talked about last week, I promise that we will eventually speed up. Um, but we're going to take some slow steps. Uh, as I mentioned last week, the book of Genesis is foundational for all of our faith and the rest of the books of the Bible. And it's important that we grasp some of the, the smaller things that perhaps we, we gloss over or look past when we read through Genesis and maybe read it almost like a history book. Um, and, and miss the spiritual implications of some of these things. We, we talked about last week that, you know, from a scientific point of view, a very rudimentary scientific view, that the beginning, in the beginning, this was the beginning of time, space, and matter, that those things really did not exist up till that moment when God created the heavens and the earth. But before those things, before time, space, and matter were thrust into the universe, God was always there. We talked a bit about the name of God, the God Almighty. I am, the great I am, or I will be. That's meaning I will always be, I've always been. We can count on him. And this name provide, that he provides to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, it's the name that uh, is presented to all future generations, including us today. It's, again, foundational for our belief and our understanding of God as the omnipresent. The, he's everywhere. The omnipotent, he is all-powerful. The omniscient, he is all-knowing. The God that that has been and always will be and knows everything, has power to do all things. He is the sovereign God. And we talked about the two, two names, Elohim, uh, God Almighty, and I Am. From Job to Psalm and from Psalms to Isaiah and all the way through the New Testament, God declares He is the Lord God Almighty, self-existent. And we also learn there in uh, a little hint to his trinity, his triune nature, God in three persons, each uniquely distinct uh, in function, or unique in function, yet distinctly one in power and authority. And then we also learned about that God is purposeful, that he didn't create something just for entertainment, there was a greater purpose for what he was doing. And it's important for us to understand that because if we understand, first of all, that he's always existed, 
that as we mentioned last week, that all the things proceed from him, through him, and are held together by him, then we will know that he is that omnipotent sovereign creator. And, and over us as well, not just creation, meaning plants and animals and the earth and the elements, but over our humanity, our souls. And nothing is beyond his power. Nothing is beyond his knowledge. In fact, we mentioned again last week, he is the source of all knowledge. And it's uh, mentioned there in Proverbs 8, 22 through 31. In addition to being the source of all knowledge and wisdom, his purpose is there. And it was his purpose to create something, but more than that, a, 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 that his creation itself had a purpose. So it wasn't just that he, he wanted to create something for a reason. Everything within creation had a purpose. And again, that includes you and I. Uh, and part of that purpose was for his creation to reveal his glory. The heavens declare his glory. As the psalm says, you know, day and night they pour forth speech, speaking of the stars and the universe and the galaxies, speaking of the existence of God and of his mighty power. And of course, we ask the question, well, to whom was all this speech going out to? Well, that would be you and I was to speak to you and I when we came to this earth. It wasn't just Adam and Eve in the garden, but he was thinking long-term. He had a long-term plan that included you and I here tonight to worship him. But his purpose extended even beyond that. It extended into eternity, that he would have a solution for the problem that would eventually exist, that he, being full of knowledge, knowing all things, knew was going to take place. And so there, from the very beginning, he had a plan for each element of creation to participate in that solution, a solution that considered the fallen nature of mankind and our fallen nature. Really, God, who created the heavens and the earth, he was like this unending radio station. You know, I, I find it, well, maybe amusing is not the right word. I find it interesting that we have huge amounts of federal budgets going to search for proof of life, the voice or the communications of alien life pointing it out into the universe and trying to gather speech. And all the while, it's like God is up there, Bueller, Bueller, are you just not present? Can you not hear me? I mean, he did tell us in Romans that, that we are without excuse, right? He did all these things. His very creation speaks of him. But he does this because of his love for us. This unending radio station communicating over and over, over again. I am here. I know you. I know the challenges and problems you have. I have a solution. Will you come to me? It's like, the, the, you know, when we're, I don't know if it's still in today, but it used to be you could buy uh, 
cassette tapes and even before that, uh, LPs, that had the long play version, right? You know what I'm talking about? The long play. So it was a song you really liked, but it was like an extended version. Well, God is like the really seriously long play version of the best LP or cassette or CD or MP3 that you will ever listen to and that you will never cease enjoying. His purpose is to be known, to be enjoyed. And this included then, in order for him to be seen and understood, it included the necessity of light, which is where we're jumping into in verse 3 through 5 tonight of Genesis. If you read along with me, if you have your Bibles, it says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was an evening, and there was a morning one day. Now, as I mentioned, Genesis is foundational to our understanding of the whole of the Bible. If you think about the name, one of the names of God, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Think of Genesis as the Alpha. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of his great communication and love for us. And Revelation is the, is the Omega. It's him wrapping up everything that he said he was going to do and prepared to do in the book of Genesis. The salvation of man. The redemption of of mankind, back into a relationship like Adam and Eve would have in the garden, a restoration, the alpha and the... So all those things that we really want to grasp and, and gain the full weight of in Revelation find their foundations in Genesis. As we mentioned last week in verse 1, it says, the earth was formless and desolate, emptiness and the darkness was over the surface of the deep. Think about this, formless desolate emptiness. That's what the darkness was like. It's a place of black chaos. We mentioned a little bit about this. And that's why the Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of it. He is preparing to exercise the power of the triune God to transform this newly formed space, time, and matter to bring it to order. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about order. Even the last verse of tonight, we'll emphasize next week a little more. But just like the Spirit hovering over or overshadowing Mary, who lived in a chaotic world, who was in a chaotic circumstance, and in the kind of the spiritual darkness surrounding her, God the Spirit was there preparing to transform, to change everything. To change everything to, in essence, have a new beginning, to bear again or be born again a new beginning. So that here in our passage it says, then God said. I, I like how God makes himself very personal. He, he communicates to us about himself in ways that are very human. Now, we understand, again, that we are made in his image, so we are therefore carrying some of his characteristics, and he relates to us as he relates to himself. So he is personal, and he says, and God said. He spoke. He used words. Now, he didn't have to use words. 
but he knows that we would. And he knew that words had meaning and power. So he used words. He spoke. He had a voice, and his voice has power with it. It's, it's echoed in Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 2, and it says, And behold, the glory of God of Israel was coming from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone from his glory. This is also reflected in the book of Revelation, referring to the, like, the, like the sound of many waters. It's mentioned in Psalm 68, 33, Hebrews 12, 26, 2 Peter 3, 5, Revelation 1, 15. Really, from beginning to end, the Bible reminds us of the power of God's voice. But let's not forget that just as easily as God's voice creates something, he can just as easily destroy something. He has equal ability to tear things down. And we see this in his power and authority are seen during the times of Noah, the flood. We were chatting briefly before the service. I was chatting with some of the ladies and going through the hand motions, you know, creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel. Like those things, God displayed his power and authority through speaking into the world and bringing about great destruction to bring about really justice. Abraham's life at Sodom and Gomorrah. What about the destruction of the Egyptian army during Moses' life? We'll talk a little bit about that later. But the list could go on and on of things that God did to display his mighty power and authority all throughout Israel's history. And then even now until today, The good news of the Lord's creative power is contrasted with his destructive power. And sometimes we don't like that. I I know we've often hear people say, you know, I really like God, the God of the New Testament. He's like, you know, warm and fuzzy and just all about love. And the God of the Old Testament, he's like, (laughs) fire and brimstone. But, But we fail to miss the patience, the kindness and the mercy and grace that he had, in fact, so much so that he, he started the world, then he cleansed the world, and he started over it again just to prove that it wasn't him, not to himself, but to us. He was not the problem. There is the contrast. It's the good news and the bad news. It's light and darkness, good and evil. But God will not always deal patiently with the mess that he sees. And that's really where we see the culmination in the book of Revelation, God's final judgment. But we see this contrast. God spoke. He had great authority and power, and he has that authority to speak into our lives. He has the authority even now today, we understand from his word, is that he is superintending, he is supervising every element of every country and leader. He is still today, as he was in that moment when he said, let there be light, he is still moving things according to his purpose, which he started at the beginning. 
And that ought to be a comfort to us. Despite the darkness that we see and the chaos and the lack of order in different parts of our world and our lives, he is still working. And that same power that was displayed at creation, if you think now and you jump forward, was also displayed in Christ. That same creative power, that same power that overcame all obstacles that are familiar to us and that we could wrap our minds around, that ability to violate the very laws of nature that we think we, you know, have God held within was in Christ. He changed water to wine. He healed the sick, the lame, the deaf, the blind. He freed demon-possessed people. His words controlled the weather and the sea, the fish. By his word, a, a fig tree shriveled up to nothing. His words raised the dead. And by his word, we are brought to new life. Just if you think about it just for a moment, during his lifetime, there are 37 recorded miracles. And there says there's countless others that are undocumented. In fact, uh, uh, John wrote in chapter 21, verse 25, he says, but there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I expect that even the world itself would not contain the books that could be written. So we're just getting a little sneak peek, a little tiny sampling of the power and authority of God in Jesus Christ. His, his power and authority is not just limited to the past. Today, he still calls people. He still calls forth from heaven, from the stars, from creation, from his word, which we're reading tonight. And he's still calling people to life. There are still miracles happening. happening. It was so interesting. Um, we were, this was, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago, Sam and I were with Brielle, and she was asking, but Dad, how come we don't see miracles today? And I said, oh, baby girl, God is still doing miracles today. And I shared just very, very briefly of my personal experience along with a few team members here from the church of being in Kenya with the Vision Clinic team and seeing this 98-year-old lady receive a pair of glasses that brought her from a place of, on the edge of like pure blindness where she could, she could look at the chart, but all it was was just a smear of color, no shapes where she could see 2040. Now, we might say, well, that's, you know, you, you gave her a pair of glasses. That's, you know, that's science. That allowed her to see. Well, let me just tell you, the glasses that we gave her were a pair of one readers. You know, not 1.75 or 8.75. They were a pair of one readers, the lowest reader you can get by all intents and purposes, should have no effect on her ability 
to see certainly a distance, but not even up close. But that lady, prior to that, is sitting there in front of my face, this far away, and I slipped the glasses on her. Prior to that, she didn't know who I was. When I slipped the glasses on her face, and her eyes just opened up, and she says, you have blue eyes. She jerked back when she said it. It was, I mean, there was, all of us were in tears. It was an incredible moment. Now, I'm not the only person that got to see that. Team members right there. My daughter, Colleen, was right there. Wayne was right there. Pastor Sam was right there from Kenya, from Oyugi's Kenya. We got to see this firsthand. Now, there are things like that happening all around the world still. Our problem is that we are, I think here in the West for sure, is that we are so intent on saying to God, show me and I'll believe. And God says, believe me and then I'll show you. <laughs> We're a little bit like the leaders, the religious leaders at times in, in Jesus' day. And he says, you know, I'm done with you. You'll get nothing but the sign like the sign of Jonah, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That should be enough for you. If you can't buy that, you won't buy anything else. God is still powerful. His word, the written word, and his voice is still changing people's lives. He said, let there be light, and there was light. The first act in creation was to bring light into the darkness. This begs the question, what is the source of light? Now, before we get any farther into this, I'm just going to lay this right out real quick. This is what God says about himself, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, settle that one in as we try to understand something that really is incomprehensible. Knowing that God's ways are higher than ours, we know this much. According to our passage, or, or according to Genesis chapter 1 and, and 2 and 3, that the sun and moon are not created until when? Day 4. So this light allowed plants and trees that are created much earlier to exist. Whatever light was created or made visible on the day is sufficient to sustain and to promote life. Outside of this, that, the scripture is more or less silent. There are a whole bunch of theories. I was reading through it today. I was geeking out a little bit on uh, history um, and reading some of the stuff from origin and um, just, you know, little clips and pieces where, where they were trying to explain. But really, almost all of these theories that we have of the existence of light have scriptural challenges or issues. Uh, the best answer, perhaps, that we have is recorded in Revelation chapter 21. I'll read it there for you. It's verse 22. It said, I saw no temple in it. This is speaking of the new Jerusalem. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it. And its lamp is the Lamb. 
The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. So it seems, maybe on face value, that it's very possible, and I'm, I'm couching all of this because the Scripture hints at some other possibilities, but that there is no sun or moon in New Jerusalem. There is the light of the glory of the Lamb of God. So perhaps, at least from my rudimentary understanding, it appears that at the beginning of time, God is the source of light. When he says, let there be light, it could mean that for the first time, the glory of God and the light of Jesus are made visible in the darkness. Again, just sharing what little bit I know, you could fill up with a thimble. But that's the best we could maybe aim at because God does not make it clear. What is clear, there was no sun yet, and yet there were plant life. And there was other things going on. This also seems to fall in line with John chapter 1 and the idea that Jesus, the light, shone in the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend or overcome it. And so nothing, this light that is peers, nothing can thwart it. Thus, when light appears and darkness cannot overcome it by necessity, God divides the two, the light from the darkness. Because if the darkness can't overcome the light, then it would just be light all the time. So he divides the two. He creates the dark and the light. He calls them day and night. On a side note, the, the absence of light in the presence of darkness are not only visible... But it says in our, in our Bibles that it can be physically tangible. It can be felt. And you could go over to um, Exodus chapter 10. Uh, this, in, in verse 21, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, thinking through the different plagues and the things that were happening um, through, by God through Moses, says, And the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand toward the sky so that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses reached out with his hand towards the sky, and there was a darkness, thick darkness, in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. This is, again, one of those outside-of-time-space-matter situations. One part of the land, there is light. Not just light as in you can see during the day, but they can have a lamp. Meanwhile, your next door neighbor over in the Egyptian quarter, their light, their lamp produces no light. And it says they could feel it. It was an inability for light to exist. Perhaps that's what it was like before God said, let there be light. This heavy darkness that consumed all. Perhaps 
Perhaps in that moment, the Egyptians experienced life without the presence of God. 1 John 1, uh, 5, he says, Jesus is the light. Maybe perhaps that was like a cloying blanket that just smothered you, just felt like it was pressing in on you. The same absence of God is described in the book of Jude and describes the awaiting punishment for those who reject Jesus and desire to harm and, and, and bring discredit to his church. Uh, as the NIV puts it in Jude 13, verse 13, there are, they are, speaking of these individuals, and he has a long list if you want to read that, they are the wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved for how long? Forever. The absence of God. And this darkness is a warning, a reminding of us, uh, to us of God's goodness to those who love him and are called according to his purposes, as Romans says, but also justice towards those who reject him. It's again, it's this contrast, good news, bad news, light and darkness. The, the question for us tonight is, are we living, are, are we walking in the light or in the darkness? Do we have the presence of God dwelling within us that dispels the darkness? But, there, you know, there's also some wonderful similarities here in Genesis um, that I don't want to miss also, in, again, in, in John chapter 1 and, and even in other parts of the New Testament. Um, <clears throat> It's been said by Pastor Doug and many other um, Bible teachers that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. What we have here in Genesis is that, that concealing or that shadowing of things yet to come. To bring chaos to order, the first step was to bring light. What was necessary for you and I? In this dark world, in John chapter 1, light was necessary to bring order back in chaos. This is how the Lord does it with us. Prior to our relationship with Him, our lives are full of disorder, of chaos. I think any of us that, have, that came to Christ uh, maybe especially as, as a little bit later in life can testify to that. Even those that came to Christ as a child and then lived in this world, you can understand the chaos that exists and how God would desire to bring us back to a sense of order. We need light to see our way. We must have a compass or a guide or as the scripture says in Psalm 119, 105, a lamp for our feet. Throughout the Bible, light and darkness serve as images of greater or, or more important things. We have the contrast, as I mentioned, of good and evil, of truth and lies, fear and peace. When God, God separates light from darkness, he reveals both a physical and spiritual contrast that we shouldn't miss. 
And that contrast carries all the way through the Bible, light and darkness. John 1 reminds us, in him was life and the life was the light of mankind. As much as we humans, the animals and plants need light to exist, as humans, according to God's word, we need spiritual light, the overcoming of dark, the darkness of sin, in order for us to fulfill God's design, eternal design and purpose for us. In John chapter 8, when Jesus says he is the light of the world, he's referring to the physical and the spiritual world. We already understand that all things are, you know, exist because of him through him and are sustained by him. However, as the literal and figurative light, he makes things physically and spiritually visible. There was things I did not understand about God and his word until I came to that place that says, I need you. I confess my sin to you. I ask you to forgive me. I repent and I surrender my life to you, God. And then there is this great understanding. Just as the word says, there are things that are hidden from those that do not want to know him. They cannot understand because they are spiritually appraised or understood. And without a spiritual mindset given to us by the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand them. Well, in a training exercise in Germany, um, when I was in the Army, we did some, some reverse cycle training. Uh, it was also called battle, battle readiness training, which is really you do operations or you work at night and you rest during the day. <laughs> you don't really rest during the day, but that was the general idea. Well, during one of those training cycles, <clears throat> our unit took on the role of the aggressor. So we, we were out in the German countryside, rolling around in tanks and Bradleys and armored personnel carriers and Jeeps and all that kind of stuff. And you're doing war games. And well, our unit had taken on the role of an aggressor. We were given the assignment to do a sneak and peek or, or a reconnaissance mission. So we were to go into a, go to a particular location, uh, be undetected, observe certain operations and gather certain information, and then return back to our, our base of operation and report that information. Now, again, all to be undetected. Now, when they, the night that we ended up getting tasked for this, uh, there was like this little, you know, the fingernail sliver of the moon. But you could only tell that in the first part of the day as the moon was starting to come out, you said this little sliver, because then the clouds rolled in completely blotted it out, and then it was like this light rain that came. And they dropped us off about a half a mile from our, our objective. And between our objective and this, uh, where we got dropped off, was this heavily wooded area. So we move out of the open area, and we move into this heavily wooded area. And I'm not kidding, you could not see your hand in front of your face. Now, this is, this is uh, pre-high-technology military, right? So, yes, we had these things called PBS-2s. Uh, they're night vision goggles, but they were basically one per, um, one per platoon. Uh, so there was only a, 
a few, handful of people, and they're, they have no depth. Those ones had no depth perception, which was great if you were stationary, but it, it took some talent to learn to walk with them. Anyways, we get in there. We didn't have them. You can't see your hand in front of your face, and we are literally, for the next hour plus, crawling on our bellies and all fours, moving towards our objective with the only way to navigate was this little tiny luminous dial on the compass. That's all you had <laughs> to get you through that half mile of terrain. This took on a whole new meaning and understanding years later when in the midst of my own frustration and my own uh, situations and rejection of what God had for me, the, the rejection of what was right and wrong, what God, did, did God really, is he really in charge of me? Whereas as we sometimes tell our kids, you're not the boss of me. I couldn't say, you could say it, but God's like, no, I am the boss of you. But that took on a whole new meaning as my eyes were open to the truth and this analogy of me crawling through life on my belly, groping in the darkness, just looking for some hint of direction. God said, let there be light. For the first time in my life, I could see like I'd never seen before. Things took on a brand new perspective. Don't, don't get me wrong, I still stumbled at times. But see, it took a crushing, depressing darkness to get me to admit that I was blind. Is that how we want to live? in those secret things that we hide in or hide away that we don't reveal to others, do we think that we're going to see our way through that? But thank God that he does continue to shine and say, let there be light. On that day, the Lord opened my eyes, allowed me to see the light of Jesus, to find direction, to find hope, and to find real satisfying purpose. As 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, for the God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That was nearly 32 years ago. God separated in me, separated the light from the darkness. So now when I read Genesis chapter 1, verse 4, and it says, God saw that the light was good. Man, my heart totally echoed that. Oh my gosh, is this good. It's amazing. Not only did God call it good, he called that goodness, he called it day, a time when light is present. Um, if you want, you can turn to John chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 7. And it says, as Jesus passed by, this is speaking of one of his interactions with his disciples, as he passed by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. 
And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must carry, here's the, here's the, the key point, verse 4. We must carry out the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he goes on to heal this man. He heals this blind man who had only known darkness. How could you describe what it was like to see something to someone who had never seen? Can you imagine the joy in his life? I don't think we can unless you've experienced that. We get a little taste of it when we come to salvation. But he reminds his disciples of the importance of the day, the time when work can be done, when darkness is not present and the light allows us to see. But he's not just talking about physical sight, he's talking about spiritual sight as well. There is a time when both physical and spiritual sight will cease. When only the blackest darkness and the absence of the Lord is left and felt by those who have rejected him. As it says in Matthew 13, 41, where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. However, the good news for us is that it's not for those who have responded to his call, who have seen the light come out of the darkness. We have been set free from the domain of darkness, the scriptures tell us and we will live forever with him basking in the warmth of his glory. Amen? And this gift, this freedom to walk in life is what we're going to celebrate tonight in communion. As we end our time, it, communion is that reminder of God's willingness, in fact, his desire to separate us from the darkness by offering his own life as the sacrifice in my place, our place. While it is still day, while the light of Christ dwells within us and while we are still on this earth, we have time to do the work that God prepared in advance, he says, for us to do, for his glory, for his name, that people would see the light of God dwelling in us. Because there is a time coming when the words of verse 5 will actually strike fear into the heart of those who have rejected him. It says, and there was evening and there was a morning one day. Because there's going to come a day when it's the last day. And there is no more time. There is no more time to do the works of God. No more opportunities to say. And we, according to God's word, we don't know when that day is. It's in fact, it says it will come like a thief in the night. In the blink of an eye, when you do not expect it. It's better that we prepare while there is still light. While we can still discern the darkness and warn people 
That is darkness. That is going to harm you. There is no hope and peace in that. Because of that, before we receive the bread and the cup tonight, um, Josh, if you want to go ahead and come on up, First Corinthians chapter 11 tells us, Paul reminds us as he's reminding the church in Corinth that we ought to examine ourselves. Lest we take in remembrance and say, yes, I belong to the body of Christ. Uh, you know, I have accepted his gift. I have surrendered my life. But do it in an unworthy manner. Like, eh, God doesn't care about the sin that's going on in my life right now. And then it says we eat and drink condemnation upon ourselves. Judgment. In fact, the warning was there that because of the stupidity of what's happening, there are some of you who are sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Some of you have died. We ought to examine ourselves, asking the Lord, the Lord of creation, the one who said, let there be light to illuminate our hearts and minds so that we might see those things that he would desire to change in us, driving out more of the darkness. And then in, in response to that, as he reveals that, confess it. Lord, I, I do. This, forgive me. This is not right. Repent. Lord, I want to turn away from it and to you. Surrendering fresh again. Let's seek him together. Let's seek him together tonight and say like God did in the opening moments of creation, say, Lord, let there be light in me, in us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of Genesis. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together.